Most of you guys know that I'm a huge college football fan. Do you have any other college football fans in the room? Some roll tides. I didn't hear any War Eagles speaking up. Don't be so timid. Don't be so timid. They did good. So here's the thing. This time of year, and some of you guys can give me an amen here, okay? And that's fine. But this time of year is literally my absolute favorite time of year. Okay? Amen. Roll tide. Because football starts again. I love football. And the cold weather starts easing in. We love cold weather. I love cold weather. Some of you guys like the summer. You're crazy, and I love you anyway. But the, the winter, the fall starting to come. The colors are changing. School's going back. I know the kids hate that, but to be honest with you, most parents love that. Okay, so school's starting back, but you're meeting new people, right? You guys that are going back to school, you're meeting new folks. You, you've got new people in your class. So there's a lot of really interesting things that happen around this time of year. And I've noticed through a lot of self-evaluation that... We have a tendency to get very, very um, self-consumed in this part of the year because it becomes, well, what am I going to get to eat for the football game? What am I going to get, you know, out of school tomorrow? What am I going to get? It, it becomes very, very me-oriented, right? And so I've noticed that there's a lot of really just just selfish nature going on, and it's not just this time of year, obviously, but America as a whole has moved into this very me-centered type thing. So this morning, I gave Josh an opportunity to do something that you don't get to do very often, and that's put the word prostitute on a slide at a church. And he was really excited about it. I'm just kidding. He wasn't that excited. He was kind of excited. He's like, so here's the thing. I, uh, I, I started working on this message before Stan started his Not Afraid series. And because he told me about a month and a half ago that he wanted me to preach this Sunday morning, and I started putting some thought into this, this scripture that we're going to talk about this morning, which is in the book of Hosea. If you've got your Bibles with you, please open up to the book of Hosea. It's really, really at the end of the New Old Testament and kind of close to the New Testament. So a lot of people haven't ever even... Anybody in this room read the whole book of Hosea at any point in their life, aside from the pastors? Good job. Some of you guys know what's going on, but other people are just like, Hosea, what is that? So... I got to reading this book because I heard a, a message online. I love listening to Passion City Church and Louis Giglio. He's a phenomenal pastor. And I was listening to a message that he did, and there was this just small, tiny fragment at the end of it about the book of Hosea. And it, it really goes into how selfish and self-centered the nation of Israel had become. Okay? Sounds familiar. And then God, using Hosea's life, to show Israel how bad it was going to get because of their sin, okay, because of their disconnection from God. And so the reason that I say that that feels very, very reflective for now is because coming off of this Not Afraid series and talking about what the potential for things that could come in the next few months in America, it's easy to get nervous because we're kind of living the same way that Israel lived back in those times when God decided, you know what? You guys are in trouble. So the United States of America has rebelled against our Creator. There can be no doubt in that. All you have to do is turn on CNN or Fox News or whatever your normal source of news, radio, whatever it is. All you got to do is flip that on and five minutes in, a lot of times it doesn't even take five minutes, you're already aware that America has just completely disconnected from God. We've rebelled against everything that He founded our country on and we've just really missed the mark there. So... As a whole, we become self-centered, we become self-absorbed, we become uh, very me-oriented. Um, so the generation before me mourns what's happening to the United States 
Okay, and I got a lot of people that are right in front of me on the generational line. So you guys are going, I can't believe what we've done to this country. I can't believe how far the next generation fell. Okay, and so that generation mourns it. My generation supports it. Okay, the 30-somethings, we just sit back and let it happen. I'm just being honest with you. The majority of us, we just sit back and watch as America degenerates. Then the generation after me, they, they've got it like a flag carrying it high. This is who we are. This is what we want to be. This is what we want for ourselves. Me, 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 I, I, I. And then our students, the next generation to come, they think it's normal. They look at it and say, oh, so I'm supposed to be self-absorbed. I got it. And that's the model that we've set for them over the course of the last 100 years in this country. Okay? And it goes back even farther than that, but it's gotten really, really bad over the course of the last century. So in a world of me, promises don't mean anything. Now, the title of the message this morning is A Promise is a Promise. And I told Josh and I told Stan and I told Caleb, this morning's going to cover a lot of bases. So you really kind of got to pay attention to which part applies. It really all applies to everybody, but there's going to be some some student-to-teacher stuff in here. There's going to be some husband-to-wife, wife-to-husband type stuff in here. There's going to be some nation, some patriotic type stuff. There's going to be a lot of things going on in this message. And it's great because I had never read the book of Hosea to figure out how all this stuff interweaves until I heard that message a few months ago. So it's really exciting for me. And the direction we want to go... The direction we want to go with this is whatever it takes to get ahead is what I'm willing to do. Okay? Now, let's stop and think. A lot of times when we talk about the good old days in the United States of America, we look back at what, the 50s? A lot of times, right? Because everybody say in the 50s, the home, the family, was as tight as it's going to get. Okay? Everybody came home and sat around the dinner table and they talked about their day and the kids were respectful for the most part. You know, so... In the early part of the century and into the 50s, it was supposedly good. I don't know. Believe it or not, some of my teenagers argue with this, but I wasn't around back then. So I don't know, but I hear good things, okay? And so then in the 60s, a lot of things began to change. Uh, a lot of the, the, the things that, that, that the nation was standing on a precipice of began to, to, to just get different. And then into the 70s, when they really started to disconnect, and Stan talks about it, he says, you know, it was a respectful rebellion. It was, I may not believe the way you believe, but I'm still going to respect your belief in it. Okay, so they, they kind of stood back and let it happen. They weren't going to get into the whole Christian thing. And then somewhere in the midst of the 80s and 90s, it just went downhill. Okay, and it's gotten progressively worse and worse and worse. So whatever it takes to get ahead, society serves itself first and others if they're lucky. There was a point when the United States would say we serve ourselves first and others second. But if any of you guys have been to a fast food drive through or some of the other service-oriented things that are around in the United States right now, it's that you serve other or you serve self first and then others if they're lucky. Okay, and, and it's not everybody, but what I'm saying is this is the United States of America as a whole. This is what we've devolved to, so to speak. This is what we've become. And when a nation founded on Christ falls this far, because we can all agree that this country was founded on godly principles, right? That's why they came here, was so that they could worship the way they felt God wanted them to. And then over the course of time, it just kind of goes down the drain. There's going to be there's going to be judgment. There's going to be something that God does to say, hey, I love you, you're my children, 
that you're messing up and you're doing really dumb stuff and we're going to have to have a time of, of, of judgment here, of, of, of punishment, so to speak. So like Israel, we've gone astray. I hate to see the United States through a non-believer's eyes. Okay, because I see how corrupt many people that are God-fearing Christians, notice the bunny ears here, God-fearing Christians treat people. I see the way that a lot of Christians talk down their nose to people because they're not believers, so on and so forth. The judgment that occurs, the there's all kinds of things that the Bible teaches very specifically against that we've let ourselves just kind of fall into and we've made excuses for ourselves and to the point where the church doesn't represent now what the church represented 60, 70 years ago. It just doesn't. And so when you spend a, lot, a day in the life of a non-believer and you're interacting with people who say they're Christians and you see the lifestyle that they're living and you're saying, well, if that was, if that's what God's all about. I don't need to do anything with God because all they're doing is being hypocritical and superficial. And so that's not me. I don't want to be fake. And so they just ignore it. And a little of that led to a lot of that and a lot of that has turned into us ending up exactly where Israel was at that point in time. In the Old Testament, God's chosen people fell from their holy perch as well as the prophet Hosea was asked to live out the story of Israel's rebellion. Now, this is where we're going to get into our scripture because I got to tell you guys, if I was a prophet, which I am not, if I was a prophet and God told me, you're going to have a bad marriage, so that I can show my chosen people what they've become. I don't know that I would have wanted to be a prophet anymore. <laughs> and like, God, this this whole prophet thing, eh, just hang on to that. Go give that to, you know, John over there or whoever. You know, I, I don't want it. But Hosea was told that he was going to live out a life of... And, and, and understand that there's a lot of, of controversy around this book because some people say that the whole prostitute marriage was not premeditated. Then there are other people that say she wasn't a prostitute. She was just prone to uh, promiscuous living, and, and Hosea kind of ended up in that. There's a lot of controversy there, but let's summarize here, okay? And we're going to summarize by saying that Hosea got into a marriage with a woman who had absolutely no intention of being faithful to him from the get-go, all right? Bottom line. It says, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Now, when we look at Scripture and we see other gods, the term other gods, my first thought, I don't know what you guys think, but my first thought is a big cow made out of gold that they dance around and do weird things. And Baal, I think, was one of their big, big uh, uh, gods that they just made up. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'm tired of worshiping God because he's so, you know, vengeful. Let's make something out of gold and we'll worship that. And that sounds stupid to us, right? It's like, why would we worship something that was man-made? What's this? Why would we worship something that was man-made? That's just stupid. What's that? Guys, we think that the people in the Bible were silly because they worship gods that they created. America is literally dying and choking on the gods that we have created for ourselves. And as much as I love the church, as much as, as, much as I like to think of myself as a, a God-fearing Christian, it occurs to me every once in a while 
that I'm acting just like Israel acted. And at some point, God's going to judge that. So at this point, we look in, in through Hosea's perspective, and he says, you want me to what? <laughs> I want you to go, and I want you to marry Gomer. Okay, I want you to go, and I want you to marry her, and she's probably going to mess around on you. I'm sorry, ahead of time, right? Like, can you imagine that conversation between Hosea and God? had to be awkward, because he's sitting there going, you want me to what? How, how is that supposed to play out for me? But the truth of the matter is, God uses the life of Hosea to show how faithful he is. Now, when we started worship this morning, I told you guys that I wanted to paint a very clear picture of how much God loves us. Now, this is undeserved, unachieved, unattainable, human-wise love. Okay, And I will prove to you, beyond all shadow of a doubt, that God's love supersedes any kind of human love this morning. I pray that there's no way for you to walk out of these doors today without knowing for a fact that God's love is way, just infinitely greater than what a human person is capable of. So, when we get started here, we understand that Gomer had absolutely no intention of honoring her wedding vows. None whatsoever. She went into this knowing, well, you know, Hosea's kind of cute, but, uh, you know, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to do this. Now, God had lined up the dominoes, and he had set things up to where this was going to fall the way God wanted it to fall. But from the very get-go, Gomer had other ideas in mind than, than exactly where Hosea was going with this. And we've started our Christian lives in love with God, just like that emotional beginning that Gomer and Hosea had. But as a whole, we've been unfair to our vows. All right, so I'm going to be completely transparent with you guys, because most of you guys know this anyway. But I've been married before I met my amazing wife. Okay, I went through a divorce. Now, it wasn't something that I wanted, but it happened, and I praise God for it now. But the fact of the matter is that my wedding vows were supposed to mean something. And praise God, now my, my wedding vows mean everything to me. But then I look at people like my mom and dad, they've been married 37 years, 38 years, right? Their wedding vows mean something. And the kids asked me something the other night. Um, we were doing this whole download on Wednesday nights. I was taking some of the teenagers to the side and asking them, what do you want out of your youth group? What can we talk about and teach about that's going to really hit home with you? And one of them said, I don't understand how God has no beginning and no end. That doesn't make any sense with me. How is God infinite? And so I thought about it, and my, my wedding vows came back to me. Because anybody that's in here that's married has one of these on their finger, or they should. There is no beginning to this, and there's no end to it. It's just infinite. It goes round and round and round, right? This is how God's love works. I'll put it back on, I promise. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. We as humans can fail this, right? This can, this can mess up and this can break as a human. Well, I just don't really agree with how they're living. We're different people. You know, she cheated on me. He cheated on me. You know, he, there's all kinds of bad things that can happen that cause this to break. But God's love, God's marriage to us, so to speak, never, ever breaks. And so we can't conceive it as a human person because it doesn't make sense to us. Because anytime, well, I say anytime, most of the time we talk about a union with a, a marriage, it's, I am going to be 100% faithful 
never ever leaving my spouse for the rest of eternity unless they do this. We put limitations on what God ordained to be infinite and we, we put a, a possible stopping point there. But God never put that point with us. I taught a lesson this past Wednesday night for teenagers called You're Good. And that is that once you accept salvation, once you accept Christ, once that marriage is formed, that bond, that relationship's created. Now I know some of you guys in the room are going, it's really awkward when we refer to us as the bride of Christ because I'm a dude. And you're absolutely right. That does get weird for guys sometimes, okay? I, I'll admit, I've sat in the pew and gone, I don't want to be anybody's bride. That's weird. But the truth of the matter is we got to get past the human conception of this and we got to move into what it really means, okay? So if you want to think of it as the perfect relationship, you can think of it that way too. It's like your best friend that you literally do everything with and you go every with and, or everywhere with and, and they're just they're an integral part of your life. Imagine it that way, okay? That's fine if you want to do that. So there are multiple places in Scripture where the Word refers to us as the bride of Christ. And there, there's tons of them, but I'm just going to read a couple. First one I found was in Ephesians 5.25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, there's a comparison to a husband-wife relationship. Revelation 19.7, For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has, been her, has made herself ready. Isaiah 54.5, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts. Is his name. So all throughout Scripture, we see all these references to God saying that we are the bride. Okay? And that one day our groom is going to come back and he's going to get us and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to go off into this perfect, infallible relationship with Christ, right? But the thing is that, and what I put up here, the list goes on and on, but what's important is the level of commitment that God has made to us and what is the most common wedding vow that everybody ever says. Just anybody. Just what's the most common part of a marriage ceremony? Forever till, till death do us part. Okay? That's the one that it, it generally doesn't matter what kind of wedding style you're going for. You're always going to hear in there. Okay? Or as long as we both shall live. That's another one, right? It means the same thing. It's like New Living Translation for, versus like uh, New American Standard. Same thing, right? Works the same way. So... The thing is that we as humans say, as long as we both shall live until death do us part. But what are we promised in the Word of God through Christ Jesus? Eternal life. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is no death do us part. It's infinite. It is unending. It doesn't stop. And that is beautiful to me. It's gorgeous to me, but what I'm going to give you is a picture of how that works for God. So, the story of Hosea goes kind of like this. So God tells him, he says, I want you to go and marry Gomer. And he says, okay. So he goes and him and Gomer, Gomer, Gomer they, they have uh, this, this emotional experience. They, they develop this relationship and there's this, this beautiful moment of connection. And they say, okay, we're going to get married. Let's get married. Yeah, so they get married. Let's have some kids. Hey, yeah, they have a kid. And then... Gomer gets pregnant again. But it's not Hosea's. Because God knew from the very get-go, Gomer wasn't going to be faithful to Hosea. Start thinking about how this reflects us. Because there was a moment in every single Christian in this room's life where they said, you know what, God, I love you. This is emotional. It's exciting. I want this to, to be a connection, a relationship that's everlasting. And we get excited about it. And we get passionate about it. And then we get a little despondent. 
And slowly but steadily, the relationship isn't what it used to be until we start seeking after other fulfillment. Oh, well, God, you know, I, I know I need to be in the Word, but there's a lot of stuff going on Facebook. There's a lot of things going on in my job right now. Guys, I don't mind telling you, work has become something that's very, very hard for me to coordinate with my church life because I'm, I've taken a new position at work, and it's it's very uh, demanding of me. Okay, and then, I mean, I've got my family, I've got all this other stuff, and so I'm going, God, I just, I love you, and I know I need to put tons and tons of preparation into the student stuff, and this lock-in, into this message. I know I need to do all this, but I've got all this other stuff that i got to do too. And it starts that we start trying to make it a balancing act, right? Because God's important, but the other stuff's important too, and so i got to find a way to, to juggle it, right? And then all it usually takes is one mistake, and the juggling act falls to pieces, and then we're just completely focused on the other thing, and God takes a back seat. This is kind of what happened with Jose and Gomer's relationship because it started off great and tight and excited, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, Gomer's gone doing her own thing. We break our promises all the time. Never fails. Happens. It, it's, it's unfortunate, but we call it the human Nature, the human machine, it's, it's inevitable. That's what we think. And so, God has never broken His promise to us. And that doesn't, that doesn't click because in a fair relationship, okay, let's say at the beginning of the day, if the Hosea Gomer thing works right, then they'd be 38 years in, no questions asked, life is good, right? They're happy, they're a successful Jewish couple, but that doesn't happen. And so, somewhere along the line, Gomer, like America, like us, if we're being self-reflective, decided to go a different direction with that. So, she goes out, and she makes all these mistakes, and finally she says, you know what, I'm enjoying this life outside of my marriage with Hosea, so I'm just going to leave him. I'm going to go leave him, and I'm going to be who I want to be, I'm going to find myself, I'm going to taste the grass that's on the other side of the field. I'm going to experience that. I'm going to find out what that's like. And so she leaves. And she finds out that it's not what it was all cracked up to be. Does that sound familiar? Anybody? Amen? So she finds out that it's not what she was expecting. It's not as easy and as, as fulfilling as what she thought she was going to experience outside of that relationship with Hosea. But now that the promise is broken, the vows are shot, right? I can't go back. There's no going back from this. So she continues to seek other relationships. Well, my iPhone's not fulfilling because I, you know, I can't do everything I want to do on there. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy this new TV. And that's not fulfilling. So I'm going to go out and buy this new computer and that's not fulfilling. So I'm going to get involved in this, you know, this community group because they're doing great things and I just don't feel like I'm being fulfilled in that. So I'm going to go out to a bar and I'm going to have a drink to try to self-fulfill. And then that doesn't, that doesn't do anything but make me more into, you see how it falls downhill? And I'm not saying that's a normal path of progression. That's just a very ADHD path of progression in my head. I can get from aluminum foil to hair dryers in 0.5 seconds. But the fact of the matter is that we start having all these weird things going on that become more and more important. And then our relationship with God becomes less and less and less important. So at the end of the day, we're looking at ourselves in the mirror going, there's no way God could love me. I've, I've literally sold myself into prostitution. 
because I've let all these other gods come before Him and I've, I've seeked after them rather than Him. And there's no coming back from that. And even though we think that we understand infinite salvation, that God's got us, that we're good, that He loves us, that that's never going to stop, because we're human, it does not click the way it's supposed to. And I myself, I, I shared this with the, the teenagers Wednesday night, I even find myself at times when I've made a huge mistake, when I've done something really dumb, when I've, I've just sinned and I know I've sinned, that next morning when you get up to do your quiet time, you're kind of like, oh, okay, somebody put a cat video up. And then you click in and the next thing you know, you're, you're trying to keep from that communication with God because like staying covered uh, with his last series, it's that secret sin, right? Well, only I know about it and I'm just going to ignore it and hope it goes away until eventually we get our pants convicted off and we realize we made a serious mistake. God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to, to just, just cover that. So that's what happens here. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods to worship them, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Okay, so the next slide's heading says, can we take a second? And honestly, I want everybody to take a second. Because here's the picture I want you to get in your head from this verse. You messed up. We messed up. I'll make that self-incorporative. We messed up. We did stupid stuff. We ran as far from God as we possibly could and passionately, passionately sinned and just put other gods in front of him and said, this is who I want to be because it's going to be easier because I don't have all these rules to adhere to. So this is where I want to fit in the world. And then we realize we messed up. And we think there's no way that God can forgive us for this. God's chasing you down. God's coming back saying, yes, you messed up. You're absolutely right. But you know what? I'm going to buy you back. Because I love you. And just like this ring, I'm never going to stop loving you. I'm never going to give up on this relationship. You may give up. You may think that things are better on the other side of the fence. You may want to go out and experience other stuff in life. But I know how much I love you. I know who I created you to be. And I know what you're meant for. And I'm never going to stop. Because I love you. And I'll never stop loving you. So Israel messed up. Israel ran in the other direction. And this was God's way of telling Israel, you know what? You guys have made huge mistakes and there's going to be a, a time of punishment here where you're going to have to live outside of being the people of God. But I'm going to find you. And I'm going to pay for you. And I'm going to pull you back kicking and screaming if I've got to. Because I love you and nothing is ever going to change that. Guys, we need to understand that as a nation. We need to spread that. We don't need to hold that and self-contain that. We need to help other people understand that, yes, I'm a hypocrite. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I profess to be a child of Christ and I mess it up every single day. But the Word of God shows that mercy and grace covers me because He loves me. And I guarantee you, anybody out there that doesn't believe in God, they don't understand that kind of love. I've been a Christian for a long time. I still don't understand that kind of love. Becoming a parent helped. Becoming a parent changed my perspective a lot. I won't lie to you. Because 
I finally found somebody that even though I got mad at them, I was still very willing to forgive them no matter what. I still loved them that much to say, eh, my son just broke my laptop. That's not good. I still love you. You know, we, we get to that point. Being a parent helped, but I still don't. I still don't get it. I still, it still doesn't click. And it never will because my mind is not meant to understand that kind of love. And I want everybody in this room to understand that too. That our minds, our human, very, very, very human brains are not meant to conceive this kind of love. But it's there. It's just waiting. It's waiting for us to get done messing up and finally say, God, you know what? Even though I'm broken and I've done dumb stuff and I continue to do dumb stuff and I'm probably never going to stop doing dumb stuff, thank you for finding me and buying me back. Because at the end of the day, that was the price. You know, 15 shekels, casket of wine, all that stuff, that's fine and good. That was the price that He paid for us. There are a lot of very, very close similarities that can be made here between where Israel was and where the United States was. If you start digging into the Old Testament, you'll see the things that Israel were doing when they were stepping 180 degrees from God, when they were walking in the opposite direction of where God was and who He was and what He had founded them to be, at that point, when they were so far drawn away from Christ that there was no bouncing back from it, America's right there neck and neck with them at this point. We really are. Guys, look at our world. Look at what society as a whole has let it become. And it's easy for us to sit in our pews or in our cars or in our desks or in our recliners and say, I'm not the one who approved gay marriage. I'm not the one who lets drugs get into the United States. I'm not the one that goes out and tells people to shoot cops. That's not me. That's my fault. Not my fault. You can't put that on me. But how many hours a day do we spend praying that God will redeem this country? How much time do we spend in just asking God to cover this? Guys, I'm a pastor and I don't spend anywhere near as much time doing it as I should. Why? Because I get self-absorbed. Because I get inwardly reflected on what's going on in my life and I disconnect with what's going on out there. And you can, you can hold your head high and say, that's not me, but every person in this room is guilty of it. And I know that because we're human and because we have lives and because we have things that we concentrate on, that, that we, we focus on. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying we do it. And I know we do it. I do it. But guys, this country has gotten to the way it is because just like a little four-year-old that you let take an inch, you guys have heard that? You give them an inch, they'll take a mile. America's literally like 6,000 miles down the road right now. We're just so far gone, it's ridiculous. And that's where Israel was. And you know, there's a lot of things that could happen. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We know what we're, we're, we're worried might happen. But just like I've heard my dad say multiple times over the past few weeks, we serve a sovereign God. We serve a God that there might be a little period of punishment. We're going to get in trouble. There's going to be some bad stuff that happens because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all, like Israel, have put other gods before us, no matter from the front of the building to the back of the building. Amen? We've all done that. We've made mistakes. So there's going to be a period where God says, you know what, you've got you to pay the price here. But I am going to find you, and I'm going to buy you back. And that love is going to be renewed. 
Guys, we can get scared about what the future holds, but at the end of the day, we serve a God who loves us infinitely. It's not going to stop. It's never going to stop. So, to close out, I want you guys to just see this. And like I, I had Josh put at the bottom, this is the Brandon Nezel paraphrase of this verse. And it's a verse that everybody knows. Like literally, it is the most popular Bible verse on the face of the planet. But it's John 3.16. I'm going to read you my version. It says, For God loved this world so much that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him doesn't have to die, but instead has eternal life. So until death do us part, gets blown out of the water. There is no longer a till death do us part because eternity has no end. So the good news for us as children of Christ is that we don't have to worry about what the ending is. Some of uh, some of my favorite senior saints have told me, young man, you could get worried about how this country is going to turn out, but I read the end of the book and we win. Amen? Because the truth of the matter is that no matter how bad it seems and no matter how bad it gets, God is still God. He's sitting on a throne. And even though we have sold ourselves into prostitution and run in the opposite direction as far as we possibly could, He's going to find us and He's going to buy us back because He loves us. And He's never going to stop loving us.